elephant out of the room. How many of you are sick and tired of that video? Hold your hand up. Come on, I'll be honest, all right? Well, the good news for you is this is the last week we'll see it. We're ending up a series. For those of you who are watching online, on television, those in the room, thanks for joining. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to preach with my hand in my pocket for two reasons. Number one, uh, you notice my brace is off. I got it off Monday, praise the Lord. And so I finally... Um, it's amazing, it's amazing what God will teach you when you sleep flat on your back with your arms right up in the air for five and a half weeks. And uh, you, it's not always good thoughts you have either. But I've slept the best I've slept all week, but my physical therapist has told me the one thing you can't do, he said, do you move your arms a lot? And I said, yeah. He said, you can't do that with your shoulder. You've still got to baby that shoulder. So when you see me outside, I'll be shaking with my left hand. Don't pop me on the shoulder. Don't hug me. Don't do anything. Social distance, please. But uh, anyway, I feel great. I appreciate you being here today. You know, it's one thing to have a throbbing headache. But it's a different thing altogether to have a throbbing headache that literally never goes away, never stops, permanent. Lee Thuyan could testify to how bad that really is. He was a Chinese man. For four years, he had this throbbing headache, and it never went away. Now, imagine that. Never went away. He went to every doctor. He went to every specialist. He tried every treatment you could imagine. Nothing worked. No medicine, acupuncture, relaxation techniques. Nothing did any good. No therapy. Finally, they did an x-ray, and it revealed his problem. You're not going to believe this. Four years earlier, he had been attacked by a robber. And in the fight, not only had he suffered severe cuts on the right side of his jaw, but the robber's knife had actually broken off, the blade had broken off inside of his skull. And for four years, he had this rusty four-inch piece of metal lodged in his skull, and he didn't even know it. Now, the good news is, God has so designed the human body that whenever you have a foreign object in there that the body knows does not belong there, God's given us a gift called pain. And that pain is God's way of saying, you've got something in your body that does not belong there, and it needs to come out. Now, listen carefully. What is true of your body is even more true of your soul. When you have things in your soul that are foreign, that God never intended to be there. God has a way of letting you know it. And there is an emotion that many of us deal with, and at times, some of us live with it every day. And you know what it's like. It can wake you up in the middle of the night. It can keep you from going to sleep. Left untreated, it can literally drive you mad. It's like a ghost that haunts every hallway of your life. It's like a face that you see in the mirror every single time you look at it. It's like this dark cloud that hovers over your head on the sunniest of days. And you find out pretty quickly you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. No matter where you go, it always follows you. Now, here's the good news. It is operable. And it is curable. And once it's removed, you experience this freedom you experience this release. You experience this joy that is purely exhilarating. And some of you already know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about guilt. And there's some of you that walked in here today, and you are full of guilt. Oh, you put on your game face. Everybody thinks everything's cool, but you're feeling guilt. We're in a series we've been calling No Hard Feelings. 
And I realized when I worked on this sermon, I said, Lord, I'm going to be touching some very tender nerves. For example, do you still feel regret over the fact that you didn't really have the relationship with your mom and dad you should have had, but they died? Do you still have remorse over the marriage that you were in that didn't make it? Are you still tortured over that person you could have helped, you should have helped, but you didn't help? Or how about this one? How many of you are carrying a secret around in your life and your wife doesn't even know it? Your parents don't know it. Your best friend doesn't know it. You hope nobody ever knows it. But it's with you every single day of your life. I got to thinking about the first time I ever felt guilty. And it, it happened when I was in the first grade. We were living in a place, some of you may know where it is, not too far up the road here called Chicopee. We were living in a village. Well, my mom was a hairdresser, and every Saturday, uh, she would have me stay with Mrs. Gunner. Mrs. Gunner was kind of my babysitter while mom, you know, worked. And so, uh, I love Miss Gunner. She was like a second mother to me. Well, she had a son. His name was Scotty. Scotty was a big star football player at Gainesville High School. But he was off to college. Well, I used to take a nap in Scotty's room. Scotty had a soldier's hat, and I really loved that hat. So, one day, I was getting ready to get home. It was cold, and I wore a coat. And I took that hat, I loved it so much, I grabbed that hat and I put it under my coat. And I smuggled it under my coat and, 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 I, and I took it home. Well, it didn't take me long to realize once after I got home that I couldn't wear the hat. Because if I did, my mom and dad would ask me where I got the hat and then I'd have to wrap myself out. So you know what I did with that hat? I put that hat under my bed. For the next week, I got the worst sleep of my life. All I thought about was that hat. And this thought kept coming to my mind. That's not your hat. It doesn't belong to you. You stole it. You shouldn't have taken it. That is not your hat. I was miserable. And I finally realized on Friday night before the Saturday, I was going back to see Mrs. Gunner. I finally got it. I don't have that hat. That hat has me. So the next morning, I got up put the hat under my coat. I never told my mom, by the way, that this happened. I got it under my coat, and I went back. And I'll be honest with you, I'm six years old. I don't even know if I knew what the word guilt really mean. But I can remember like it was yesterday. I walked into the house, and I, I was, oh, I just dreaded it so badly. And I walked into the kitchen. Mrs. Gunner was in the kitchen. She was fixing breakfast for me. And I walked in, and I took that hat out from under my coat, and I put it on the table. I said, Miss Gunner, I, I stole Scotty's hat. And I'm so sorry. I had tears in my eyes. I still remember Mrs. Gunner coming over to me, and she said, oh, I saw you took it. <laughs> I said, what? She said, I saw you took it. She was a godly woman. She said, but I wanted God to teach you a lesson. She said, how did your week go? I said, terrible. She said, that's what I prayed for every single day. <laughs> but I want to tell you, when I gave her that hat, and she said to me, I knew you'd bring it back, and I forgive you. Let me tell you what happened. Number one, I had the best time playing that day I had all week. And number two, I got the best night's sleep I'd gotten in a week. Now, you may be living with guilt today. Here's what I came to tell you. You may be living with guilt today. You don't have to live with guilt tomorrow. There is an answer. There is a hope for you. Now, let me say up front, I want to be honest. There is no human cure for the problem of guilt. You say, why? Because the cause of all guilt is sin, and only God can cure your problem. 
You can go to a psychotherapist. You can go to a psychologist. You can go to a psychiatrist. You can get all the counseling that you want to. But guilt is the infection, and only God has the cure. Now, with all of that said, here's the really good news. In the Bible, there was a king. His name was David. He was one of the two greatest kings Israel has ever had. David had a Ph.D. in guilt. Let me tell you about what happened to David. This demon, this demon out called guilt, had tortured him for an entire year of his life. And when David finally cut the tumor out of his body, when David finally got rid of his guilt, he was so happy, he was so thrilled, he was so excited, he wrote a song about it. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to a book called Psalms. It's in the middle of the Old Testament. I want you to turn to Psalm 51. Now, we don't have to wonder what the song is about because above the song, if you'll notice in your Bible, there's a little introduction to this song. We call it a superscription. Here's what that superscription says. A song of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, let me tell you the story. David had committed adultery with another man's wife. He gets her pregnant. He brings the husband home who was doing battle where David should have been. He brings Uriah home from battle, tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife to cover up what he had done, but Uriah was a man of honor and he wouldn't do it. So David resorts to murdering Uriah. He has Uriah go back and he has him murdered on the battlefield. He's lived with this for a year. But there was a prophet named David. David's best friend. And God uses a prophet named David to be David's judge and David's jury. And one day, one day, Nathan came into David and told him a story I don't have time to tell. But then he said something to David that absolutely brought him to his knees. He said, David, you are the man. And David heard a word you never want to hear in a courtroom if you're the defendant. Guilty. David, you are guilty. David finally had to pay the piper. He had to come face to face, not only that he'd had an affair with another man's wife, but he had murdered her innocent husband. To David's credit, he didn't lie. He didn't alibi. He didn't make an excuse. He came clean, and out of that, he wrote this song to answer this question. When you're confronted, caught, and convicted of sin in your life, and you no longer want to run from God, you want to run to God, what do you do? And the answer is found in this psalm. If I would title this psalm, the title of the song would be Goodbye to Guilt. And David tells us how to have a clean slate. So if I've dealt with you today, if I've already touched your raw nerve today, I want you to write down three things. And I promise you, if you do these three things, you will walk out of here. You'll walk out of your house. You'll get in your car today. You'll walk out a totally free person. Number one, you've got to admit your guilt. That's step one. You have got to admit your guilt. The first step to cleaning the slate, you've got to quit running from your guilt. As a matter of fact, this is what's so hard to understand. When you're guilty... If you want to get rid of it, you don't run from your guilt. You've got to run to your guilt. You've got to go to where your guilt is. You've got to uncover what you've covered. You've got to fess up to your mess up. Now, let me tell you what David's doing. I'm going to kind of set the scene for you. 
In effect, listen, let me use a medical analogy. David is doing some self-surgery. He's operating on himself. He's trying to remove this guilt from his heart. Now, I, I recently, as you know, I, I recently had surgery. And I'm laying in the hospital. It's been six weeks ago Monday. So I'm in the hospital. I'm getting ready to be operated on. And they're about to put me under. And this, this nurse walks in. And she says, uh, sir, are, are you James Merritt? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I, I said, you're a doctor. I said, well, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a Ph.D. I don't have a medical degree, but I, I'm a Ph.D. She said, that's okay. She said, well, Dr. Merritt, she said, uh, I'm here to make sure that we're operating on the right person for the right reason. I said, I think that is an outstanding idea. I'm so glad that you came to see me. So she begins to ask me questions. She says, okay, why are you here? I said, shoulder surgery. She said, which shoulder is being operated on? I said, mine. She said, no, left or right? I said, okay, right. She said, okay, now tell me specifically, why are you having this surgery? I said, well, except for two torn rotator cuffs and a bicep muscle torn from the tendon and big bone spurs, I don't really know why I'm here. She says, I think I know. You've answered all my questions. You're good to go. Well, this is David's pre-op. He's doing his pre-op. Ready? Here we go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Now, watch what he says. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, look what David does. Right up front, David confronts the problem head on. you got to take sin seriously. I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. Sin in the eyes of God is not a misdemeanor. It is a felony. I'm going to say that again. Sin in the eyes of God is not a misdemeanor. It is a felony. It is not a cold. It is a cancer. And David uses three different words to describe what caused his guilt to begin with. He talks about, for example, he says, my transgression, blot out my transgressions. Here's what that word means. It's a great word. It means to cross a forbidden boundary or to rebel against the law. David said, I know what I've done. I crossed a line I shouldn't have crossed. And I broke a law I should have kept. He keeps going. He said, but I also have a problem with iniquity. Now, that's an interesting word. You know what the word iniquity is? It, it, means, it means perversity. He said, well, what does he mean perversity? I'll tell you what David was saying. I hope, I wish I could preach one thing to this entire country. It is perverse, listen to me, it is perverse to think that you can sin against an all-knowing, all-perfect God and get away with it. That's perverse. It doesn't matter if you do it in the dark of night. To think that you can sin and do whatever you want to do, live any way you want to live in the eyes of an all-knowing, all-perfect, all-holy God and get away with it, that's perverse. But then he says, yeah, but my problem is also my Sin, you know, the word sin, it means to miss the mark. What does that mean? Well, the bullseye of every life, I was talking to a young man a while ago. And I was telling him, the bullseye of your life is the will of God. That's the bullseye for you. That's what God wants you to aim for every day, the will of God in your life. Why? Because the will of God is always what's right for you, and the will of God is always what's best for you. Well, what is sin? Missing the mark. You missed the bullseye. But here's what I want you to see. David does not call sin a mistake. I'll tell you, when I hear a politician get up about something he did and said, I made a mistake, it makes my skin crawl. 
No, sir, you didn't make a mistake. You sinned. It is not a mistake. It is not a misjudgment. It's not a misfortune. David calls it what God calls it. By the way, that's what the word confess means. When you confess, you agree with what God says. You say, okay, this is what I've done. So let me give you an example. It is not an affair. It's adultery. It is not fudging the figures. It's lying. I love this one. It is not borrowing indefinitely. It's stealing. We call it what God calls it. Now, that David has confronted the cause of his guilt, now he's ready for surgery to deal with the problem of his guilt. So here's what he says. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Now watch this. This is so big. He's talking to God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. Now watch what happens. The only knife that can cut, that's sharp enough to cut through the skin of sin and to get rid of the tumor of guilt is the knife of confession. And there's one thing that God will never accept for sin. Let me just help you out right here. The one thing that God will never accept for your sin is an excuse. Don't even try it. Don't try the alibi. It is not going to work. You know what? When you try to excuse what you did, you try to justify what you did, you know what that does to that tumor of guilt? It makes it metastasize, and it makes it grow. Here's the principle. When you try to cover the sin that God, that caused your guilt, God will uncover it. But when you finally uncover the sin that caused your guilt, God will cover it. What you cover, God will uncover. But what you uncover, God will cover. We always do just exactly the opposite. Give you an example. Many of you have heard of Lecrae Moore, Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist. My son Jonathan helped him to write a book, so I got to meet Lecrae. I think my son got to meet Lecrae. Great guy, wonderful, wonderful brother in the Lord. Well, he's publicly admitted the role he played when he persuaded his girlfriend in 2002 to abort their child. He says at the time that he had converted to Christianity, but he admitted he was still in that kind of that rock star lifestyle of drugs and sex and promiscuity. He said when he dropped his girlfriend off at the clinic to have that baby aborted, he knew, these are his words, it was me choosing my life over yours. He wrote a song called Good, Bad, Ugly. And in that song, he says this, but I was too selfish with my time, scared my dreams were not going to survive. So I dropped her off at that clinic. Now watch this. That day, a part of us died. Lecrae said he was racked with guilt when this happened, but years later, before he ever wrote this song, he was getting ready to marry the woman who is now his wife, and he said this, I literally broke down over the guilt and the remorse and the shame of it all, and that was the beginning of the healing process for me. See, here's what we learn. The moment we do something wrong, the moment we feel guilty about it, what's our first instinct? Run away Hide, get away, don't admit it, make excuses. I mean, think about this. How many times do you see somebody get arrested for a crime and they're on the evening news? You'll notice what they do. They hide their face. They'll turn away from the camera. They'll cover themselves up. They don't want anybody to see who they are. They don't want anybody to know what they've done. See, the problem is guilt is 
When you run away from it, here's the problem. You not only carry it with you, but the burden just gets heavier and the pain just gets greater. Now, let me just be clear before I move on. There are two kinds of guilt. I want to help you here. Some of you right now are feeling guilty when you shouldn't. But oh, by the way, some of you are not when you should. Because there's two kinds of guilt. There's what we call undeserved guilt. And there's what we call deserved guilt. You say, well, okay, what's the difference? Undeserved guilt is when you feel guilty, but you're not guilty. You feel guilty, but you really have not done anything to be guilty of. For example, by the way, that's never from God. Undeserved guilt is never from God. You say, let me give you an example. Maybe you've heard of what's called survivor guilt. It's really interesting. It's a condition that occurs when a person feels like they did something wrong because everybody else died in an event, but they lived. There were people who survived the Holocaust. They felt guilty because their brother died, but they didn't die. There were people in 9-11 who survived, but they felt guilty because they didn't die. People who survived combat, plane crashes, and they feel for some reason they say, well, everybody else died. I should have died too. Listen carefully. The only guilt that God will convict you of, the only guilt, is the sin that you purposely committed that you've not confessed. Otherwise, it's false guilt. That's why you never let, listen, never let anybody else put you on a guilt trip. That's God's job. And he knows how to do it. So you got to make sure if you're feeling guilty, all right, is it deserved or undeserved? So understand this. One of God's gift to us, it's a gift of God, is the ability to feel guilty. Deserved guilt is good guilt. Somebody called good guilt the nerve ending of the heart. And see, here's what guilt is. Guilt is God's way of telling you, hey, son, your car's out of line. Guilt is God's way of telling you, hey, buddy, you're singing out of tune. Guilt is God's way of saying your instrument is off key. It is God's way of getting us back on track. So the first thing you've got to do, you've got to admit your guilt. Second thing, you've got to acknowledge your grief. You've got to acknowledge your grief. Now, David gets to the heart of the matter when he says this. Listen to what he says. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict, and you're justified when you judge. I, when I was working on this sermon, I said, boy, Lord, I want everybody to make sure they're listening to this next statement. So listen, everybody look right up here. Look at your neighbor. Right now, tell them, say, look at the pastor. Tell them right now, look at the pastor. The next time you hear somebody say this, you just know how stupid this is. There is no such thing as a sin that hurts nobody. Well, why do you care if I marry a man and I'm a man, or I'm a woman and I marry a woman? Or what do you care if I'm looking at pornography in the secret place of my house? What do you care if I go to my house and I get stone drunk every night? It doesn't hurt you. Read my lips. All sin hurts God. It breaks God's law, and it breaks God's heart. David sinned against Bathsheba. David sinned against Uriah. But the first person he brings into the conversation is who? Tell me. God. He said against you I've sinned. I broke your law. I broke your heart. Sin always hurts God. Listen, even if the sex had been consensual, even if Bathsheba had been a single woman, the moment David had relations with her, he broke God's law and he broke God's heart. So he not only tells what he did and who he did it against, now 
He says, in fact, let me just admit why I did it. Watch this. David is so honest. Listen to this. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, this goes against so much. This goes against the grain of the way the world thinks. I'm going to say something you're not going to like, but it's true. We're not born basically good. We're born basically bad. I, I've got my, one of my sons here. I've got my grandson here. I love them today. I love them. I'd die for them. I did not have to teach my son to sin, and he didn't have to teach my grandson to sin. It just comes naturally. Because we're all born in sin. We do what we do because we are what we are. And David said, you know what? I'm not going to do what the average person does. I'm not going to deal with the symptoms of the problem. I want to deal with the cause of the problem. And here's the problem. We're all born in sin. There was a Bible teacher trying to teach a class of first graders about the nature of sin. And he said, now kids, do you understand that we're all born in sin? And one little girl looked real confused. He said, Sarah, what's wrong? She said, well, I don't mean to be disrespectful. She said, I, I wasn't born in sin. I was born in November. The, the, the truth of the matter is we were all born in sin. You know why David committed adultery? Because in his heart, he was an adulterer. You know why David committed murder? Because in his heart, he was a murderer. You know why David lied? Because in his heart, he was a liar. See, every one of us was born with a spiritual congenital heart defect. And we all need a spiritual heart transplant. Every person that's born in this world needs a new heart. And I got news for you. You can't buy those on Amazon. They don't sell them at Ikea. They don't stock them at the pharmacy. There's only one doctor that can heal your problem. That's the great physician named God. And here's what happened. For a year, David had been miserable living in the filth of his sin and the misery of his guilt. Oh, now listen, for one year, boy, you talk about a great job. When he was out in public, he deserved an Academy Award. I mean, he was the best actor every day of his life, but it was just an act. He would go out in public. He would put on the face of gladness, but when he went to bed, he had the heart of sadness. His guilt was always before him. Now, here's the good news. You know what? I, when I read this, you know what I know is true about David? Yeah, David was an adulterer. Yes, David was a murderer, but he was a child of God. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. You mean a child of God can commit adultery? Yep. You mean a child of God can murder? Yep. But you can't be happy. You can't be at peace. Listen, let me tell you something. I believe the saddest, most miserable people I've ever met in my life. You know who they are? I've met a lot of atheists. They're not sad. I've met a lot of agnostics. They're not sad. I've met party hardies. I've met drinkers. I've met people that go from bed to bed to bed, and they are having the time of their life. They enjoy their sin. I mean, they do their own thing. They're their own boss, and life is good. They're not the most miserable people I've met. The most miserable people I've ever met in my life are people who love God. They know God, but they're living in unconfessed, unforgiven, unforsaken sin, and they're eaten up with the cancer of guilt. I, I feel sorry for anyone who's convicted of a crime like murder. It's a tragedy to see somebody waste their life incarcerated and in prison for something they shouldn't have done. But you know what I really feel sorry for? I feel sorry for the people who are convicted, incarcerated, 
even condemned to death. But they don't show one ounce of remorse. They don't have one second of regret. So you understand, listen to me carefully. You can be remorseful but not repentant. But you cannot be repentant if you're not also remorseful. And when you break God's heart, God will not rest and God will not stop until he breaks your heart and you admit your grief. One of the reasons why I know I'm a child of God is not because I don't sin. I got news for you. I don't know how you are. Your pastor sins every single day. But I hate it when I do. And I'm convicted when I do. And I'm burdened when I do. And I want to make it right when I do. There was a lady I read about the other day. She was a hypochondriac. And every week she'd go to her doctor with something wrong. Every, every week it was something different. And you complained every week. Well, one week she came in and he was tired, had a long day. He said, Miss Smith, what's wrong with you today? She's well, she said, it, it's, it's my cough. I, I got a cough. She said, no, it's not my cough. Actually, she said, it's my hearing. So well, what do you mean you're hearing? She said, let me tell you something. My hearing is so bad. I can't even hear myself cough. Oh, he says, okay. So he wrote out a prescription. He gave it to her. She took it. And she said, oh, great. Will this improve my hearing? He said, no, it'll make you cough louder. Now, here's what God does. If you're not hearing him, he'll make you cough louder. Some way, somehow, it may be a scripture you read, it may be a word you hear from your pastor, it may be somebody that says something or something you see, but God will keep talking till you hear his voice, you admit your grief, you say, God, I've broken your law, I've broken your heart, I need to be forgiven. Now watch what happens. When you admit your guilt and you acknowledge your grief, then you can accept God's grace. This is the best part, right? You can accept God's grace. So remember where guilt comes from. Let's just go back. The first person in history who ever felt guilt, you remember his name? Anybody remember? Adam. First person that ever felt guilt was a man named Adam. Why? Well, he'd broken God's law. God told him not to do something. He did it, and he broke God's heart. Here was the problem. God never created Adam with the ability to handle guilt because he was never supposed to be guilty. Adam was not created to break God's heart, but to bless God's heart. So when Adam sinned, guess what? He didn't know how to deal with it. He didn't know what to do. But human instinct kicked in. So what did Adam do? He ran and he hid. And we've been doing it ever since. Here's the problem. Even though guilt is an inside job, you got to have outside help to get over it. All sin is against God, and you're never truly forgiven until God forgives you first. Because there's only one cure for guilt. I'm going to say it over and over. There's only one cure for guilt. And the best doctors, surgeons, psychiatrists, counselors, psychologists, advisors, and medicines in the entire world cannot cure this illness. There's only one cure for guilt. You know what it is? Forgiveness. That's it. Only one cure. That is forgiveness. And there's only one source of true forgiveness, and that's God. To give you an analogy, sin's like a spiritual toxin. It, 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 it poisons your heart. It poisons your mind. It infuses the bloodstream of your soul with guilt, and we're helpless to get rid of it. Sin's an inside job that needs outside healing. It is a problem from within that requires forgiveness from above. So in other words, here's what you need if you're guilty. 
You need what I would call a divine detox. You need God to step in. Because the only remedy for guilt and grief that sin brings is the grace of God. So look what David says to God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. See, sin leaves a record. David comes to God and says, I want my slate clean. I want my file emptied. I want my record washed clean. That word blot refers to removing of writing from a book or an indictment from a file. David said, God, would you delete all of my sin from the memory of my hard drive? Because the only thing David could do was what he needed to do, which was go to the only one who could wipe the slate clean, and that was God. Then David says this, watch this, wash away all my iniquity. If you're truly a child of God, let me tell you what sin will do to you every time. Sin won't just make you feel guilty. It'll make you feel dirty. Where did the prodigal son go? You remember? Where'd he go? The pig pen, because that's exactly where sin takes you. Here's the problem. If you love Jesus, you're not a pig, you're a French poodle. And you don't like pig pens. You don't like slop. You don't like mud, and you don't like sin. In fact, that's what sin feels like to a healthy conscience. You're filthy, and you're dirty, and you want to take a spiritual shower. You want to get under the faucet of God's forgiveness and under the pipeline of God's pardon. You want to come clean, and you want to be clean. So, David logically says, and cleanse me from my sin. That word cleanse means to purge. It means descend me. He said, I need a divine detox. I need to be released from my guilt. See, here's the, here's the thing you need to hear. When you sin, you don't just need a pardon for your sin. You need purity from your sin. We don't just need to be cleared of our sin. We need to be cleansed from our sin. So, David goes on to say this. Create in me a pure heart. Oh, God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, David realizes something. Sin is not just a fungus on the surface of your skin. You just scrape it off with a knife or you cure it with a home remedy. David says, I know what I need. I need a heart remedy. My problem is my heart. I need radical surgery, God. I need a spiritual heart transplant. In fact, I need a miracle. By the way, that word create, it's a beautiful word. Do you know what that word means? It's the same word used in the first chapter of Genesis where God creates the world. In other words, what David said was, God, just like you took nothing and created something, would you please take my sinful, dirty, filthy, sinful heart? Would you create within me a clean heart? Would you renew a right spirit within me? Because, Lord, there's only one person that can remove my guilt, and that's Dr. God. Now, that's why we can say goodbye to guilt. That's why today God can delete your files. God can expunge your files. God can wipe the slate clean. Because here's what David learned the hard way. We'll wrap this up. Here's what David learned the hard way. Guilt beats you up and leaves you for dead. Forgiveness picks you up and restores you to health. Sins sink you into guilt. Forgiveness raises you with grace. Sin banishes God outside. Forgiveness invite God, invites God inside. Sin will cost you everything and give you a guilty conscience. Forgiveness costs God everything but gives you a clean heart.
Now remember, you will not be able to accept God's grace. It's not there for you until you admit your guilt and you acknowledge your grief. You know, the best known hymn in the world is Amazing Grace. And I want to tell you something about grace. You'll never realize how amazing grace is until you realize how bad your guilt is. Here's the number one problem I find with people. As long as you think, I'm just not all that bad, you'll never believe grace is all that good. Until you understand, as I once told a prisoner face-to-face who was on death row, I want you to understand something, sir. You may be on death row and I may be a pastor, but it took every much of the grace of God to save me as it will to save you. Until you understand that, you'll never understand just how amazing grace really is. Now, we're going to wrap this up. So let me just say to some of you right now, you may be saying, well, pastor, I feel guilty because I am guilty. I'm that person you're talking to. I'm, I'm addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to porn. I've cheated on myself. I've cheated on my taxes. I've blown it with my kids. I've blown it as a parent. That's where the cross of Jesus comes in. That's where the grace of God comes in. Why do you think Jesus came? Let's just get this straight once and for all. Why do you think Jesus came? Why did Jesus live a perfect life? Why did he die on a cross? Why did he come back from the grave? Why? To pay for your sins. To give you the forgiveness you need. Listen, he didn't come to reject you. He came to release you. He came to renew you. He came to revive you. He came to restore you. That's why the only sin, listen to me, the only sin that God cannot forgive is the sin you refuse to ask forgiveness of. That's the only sin. So, no matter how deep the stain of your guilt is, here's the great news, and we're finished. One drop, one drop of God's amazing grace can wipe your slate clean forever. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed and eyes closed? I, I want to help you today. If, if any of you listen to me today and you think all I try to do is put you on a big guilt trip, <laughs> I'm trying to get you off of it, not put you onto it. And I'm telling you today, you can leave your guilt in this building. If you're watching me right now at home or driving down the road, or you can leave your guilt in your house, in your closet, in your bedroom, in your car. But first of all, you've got to admit it. Number one, you've got to admit, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Number two, you've got to be broken over your sin. You've got to be willing to call it what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not a misjudgment. It's not a misfortune. It's not a miscalculation. I've broken God's law. I have broken God's heart. I need a Savior. And then you can accept God's grace. Jesus died for me. He came back from the grave, not to reject me, but to release me, renew me, revive me, restore me. So here's what I'm offering you today. You've been in the jail of guilt long enough. You've carried the burden of your guilt long enough. Would you give it to Jesus? Whether you're in this building or you're watching me right now, would you just simply say this? If you've never done this, say this right now. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a guilty sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you're that Savior. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. I repent and turn away from my old way of life. 
I give everything that I am, Lord Jesus, to everything that you are. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. My guilt is gone. Grace has replaced it. And I thank you for it. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you're in this room or you're watching right now, would you just do one thing for me? We want to follow up with you. We want to help you take your new journey with God. So if you prayed that prayer with me, you may be a boy or girl, teenager, grown man, grown woman, doesn't matter. Hey, I did that, Pastor. I, I gave my life to Christ. I trusted Jesus today. I want you to do one of two things. I either want you to go to this website, crosspointchurch.com slash decision, or just text Jesus to 678-255-2566. That's simple. Just do one of those two. Just go to that website, text that number. What will happen? You'll be going to a prompt, and it'll tell you your next steps you need to take to start your walk with God. By the way, you may say, well, you know, Pastor, I've, I've already prayed to receive Christ, but you're right. There's this secret I've been carrying. That's, there's, there's this marriage that I failed in. I didn't, wasn't the dad that I should have been. I did this. I did that. Why don't you just do this right now? Why don't you just do what David did? Why don't you right now in your heart say something like this to God? God, I did, and call it what it is. I was mean to my wife. I didn't spend time with my kids. I was a, this. Just tell God, just be blunt. And then just say, Lord, would you just cleanse my heart? Would you create within me a new spirit? Would you forgive me? And then you accept God's forgiveness of you. So look up here. This is why, this message right here, if you don't get it, you'll never get it. So why do we tell you, why do we ask you every week, who's your one? Why do we say to you every week, you're sent. You're not leaving, you're sent. There are people out there, and you would never know it just by looking at them. But if you could really see the way they are, they're not walking around like this. They're walking around like this. They're so burdened with guilt. They're so broken with guilt. They need to know from us. They need to know you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to live with that guilt. There is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of compassion. And it doesn't matter what you've done. There is no sin so great, no sin so big, no sin so strong that the blood of Christ does not cover it. They need to hear that from us. So would you stand to your feet right now? We've got one last, I think, one last song that we're going to sing. Everybody stand to your feet right now. I want to say this one last thing. If you walked in here feeling dirty and filthy and guilty, if you walk out the same way, that's your fault. It's not on God, it's on you. God, let me listen. God doesn't just forgive. Can I be honest? That's his favorite hobby. He loves to forgive. God says, I take no desire in the death of the wicked. That's why I sent my son. So as we sing this last song together, let's sing it to the God that's loved us and saved us and forgiven us and made us who he wants us to be.